Hello, John Dennis here on Friday the 15th of January. Today, in a special edition of Guardian Daily, we focus on Haiti and the aftermath of Tuesday's seven-magnitude earthquake that's killed many thousands of people and reduced the country's capital city, Port-au-Prince, to dust. It's devastating. Some of the region you're seeing, Delmas, um, that's where um, uh, some of my families are, are living as well, and Petionville also. I've seen some of the pictures, and uh, you're trying to figure out if it's not your house, if it's, uh, you know, you see, you see some faces, you see, oh, it could be your relatives, it could be... Um, you're just waiting, waiting really uh, anxiously. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk. With me to discuss the plight of Haiti are Suzanne Goldenberg in our Washington office. Uh, she's our North America environment correspondent and Peter Beaumont, the Observer's foreign affairs editor. Estimates of the death toll after the earthquake vary wildly, but it's certainly in the tens of thousands. 50,000, says the country's president, René Preval. Up to 200 United Nations staff in Haiti, including peacekeepers, are unaccounted for after its headquarters and other buildings collapsed. The rescue operations underway, of course, people digging for survivors. Many are believed to be alive, but trapped beneath the rubble. But the Red Cross says it's overwhelmed. It needs medicine and body bags. And the survivors are distraught, severely traumatised. Too many people die. We, 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 need, we need help. We need help, international help. We, we ain't got no help. We need agents. We need emergency. There's no help, no hospital. No electricity, nothing. No, no food, no food, no food, no water, nothing. There are too many people die. The government knew this was going to happen. They warned them. Yeah. But they didn't warn the people in the country. Yeah. They knew. Why did they close school all the way to, to the 11th? Because they knew something like that was going to happen. Yeah, the yeah. scientists warned you. They prevented that was going to be an earthquake in this country or on the islands. You're supposed to stop the country, stop everything moving. World leaders have been quick to act. Barack Obama had this to say yesterday. I've made it clear to each of these leaders that Haiti must be a top priority for their departments and agencies right now. This is one of those moments that calls out for American leadership. For the sake of our citizens who are in Haiti, for the sake of the Haitian people who have suffered so much, and for the sake of our common humanity, we stand in solidarity with our neighbors to the south, knowing that, but for the grace of God, there we go. Britain's response was outlined yesterday by Gordon Brown. It is a tragedy beyond imagination. And there is a deep sense of loss felt by the whole of the British and Irish people about the tragedies that individual families in Haiti are experiencing at the moment. And we send our message of sympathy and support to the people of Haiti at this most difficult of times, where men and women and children are suffering under the heaviest of burdens. That place must, for that moment, become the centre of our world's attention, the world's compassion and the world's humanitarian help. Well, natural disasters have hit Haiti with awful regularity. Many, many people have died over the years in tropical storms and hurricanes, earthquakes and tsunamis. Suzanne Goldenberg in Washington, you visited Haiti last summer and you found the country vulnerable to natural disaster, didn't you? Absolutely. Uh, When I was there, I met an environment ministry official who described Haiti as a mosaic of vulnerabilities. Um, And what he meant by that was that the country was a hostage to 
you know, it's crushing poverty, bad governance, political instability, and a pattern of um, economic uh, development that had really devastated the environment and made Haiti much more vulnerable to natural disasters. Peter Beaumont, um, this was, a, you know, it really sort of illustrates that the international community, which is now rushing to Haiti's aid, of course, has sort of imposed economic conditions for getting investment, and that's um, affected, uh, it's moved, it's, it's resulted in a lot of people moving from rural areas where they've had been small farmers and so on into these massive slums in cities. And I mean, it's that's sustainable. A, that's a global phenomenon anyway, but yes, I mean, there has been this huge movement. I mean, the, the big challenge now in, in getting the aid in, well, the first challenge is that there seems to be a blockage. The airport seems to be only partially open, and a, a lot of aircraft, in, including the World Food Programme flight from San Salvador, is struggling to get in at the moment. Um, it seems that the, you know, there is a model for 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 what they can do in the reconstruction after the immediate aid period, and that's what happened in the tsunami. Whereas, rather than trying to impose things from outside, they allowed people much more to sort of have the opportunity to say what they wanted. And, and the motto for the post-tsunami reconstruction was uh, was build better. And, and given what Haiti was like before, uh, I mean, it seems anything you could do has to be better than what, what, what was existing. Because, I mean, Suzanne, this is one of the world's poorest countries, of course. And, I mean, previous international aid efforts haven't worked there, really, have they? Well, you've got to remember the starting point. I mean, Haiti is really one of the poorest countries I've visited, poorer than Afghanistan, poorer than uh, parts of Bangladesh. It's really a devastated uh, country. And, you know, every time it begins to get back on its feet, it's hit by something else. A year and a half ago, it had four horrendous uh, hurricanes in a row, and it's just beginning to sort of rebuild after that. Um, So it just doesn't have the capacity to keep to keep going. It's going to need tremendous outside intervention and it's going to need, you know, help with engineering, with, you know, for anything you can think of because the country doesn't have the resources. What are the signs, Peter Beaumont, that the international community is rising to this enormous challenge? Well, I mean, I mean, I think already, I mean, there, there are a number of agencies trying to get out there at the moment. I mean, it's you know, you always see the fire teams and the, the earthquake rescue people out there first. I mean, Clearly, there's going to be a food and sanitation issue. And, and already, you know, there are food and mobile clinics on the way there. But I think the biggest challenge in Haiti, which has got such a long history of political instability, not always through its own fault, but sometimes through the fault of external actors, is how you go about doing that, that reconstruction without, without increasing the kind of the political instability. And that was one of the consequences of, of what happened in Sri Lanka. That was a bad model where... Um, you know, the aid fed into the whole um, resurgence of the conflict. Given how Haiti is, I mean, they're going to have to think very hard in the long term about precisely what they do, what is best practice, and how how to negotiate all these complex problems that the country has. But we're talking, Suzanne, about a country that has no infrastructure um, for the large part. I mean, you know, even before the um, earthquake, um, 40% of the schools in Haiti didn't even have a building. That's right. And I think it's important to note, you know, when uh, right now at this moment, when governments are looking at assistance to Haiti, both immediate and long term, um, 
that, you know, a lot of those government policies have really failed. Those aid policies have failed. Haiti, for example, they um, they really uh, encouraged people to leave the countryside, to sort of abandon farming, you know, that they were able to live off and to move into cities and to try and get jobs in factories, making things for export that, you know, just haven't succeeded at all, have failed. So the governments are going to have to look very closely at how they're, uh, not just how they mobilize the large sums that will be required, but the best way to spend them for Haiti's benefit. Um, I think one encouraging thing so far is that the Obama administration really seems uh, to be very tightly focused on this, and there seems to be a a lot of uh, attention that was paid to Haiti really from the beginning of last year, and uh, there does seem to be a commitment to trying to do things better uh, next time. Peter, um, Bill Clinton, of course, uh, uh, special emissary um, for Haiti. He's been active uh, over the last year or so um, trying to sort of raise awareness of Haiti. I mean, do, do you think that this will is a promising sign? It seems to be a promising sign, although, I mean, you have to look at America's history in Haiti since the 1970s. I mean, the, the, uh, the way in which deals were done with the uh, Duvalier regime to, to, to build factories in Haiti. A terrible regime. And uh, and then the pressure on Haiti to privatise parts of, you know, the few bits of, of national wealth it has, like its telephone sector in, in, in the last decade. It needs an absolutely honest approach to, to Haiti's problems. It can't simply be seen as... Uh, you know, a, a testing ground for, you know, um, free market economic systems or or for something that seems to look good in Washington and doesn't work for Haitians. Um, Suzanne, I mean, is your impression that the government of Haiti has any ability to, to sort of mobilise any disaster relief? Well, I think they've done, I mean, you see quite clearly the president out there and appealing for, for assistance. I mean, they're saying quite openly they're, they're open for assistance. Um, in terms of uh, mobilizing resources at, uh, domestically, I mean, the devastation is, is so great that they have no police force. They have, you know, they're even, uh, you know, the presidential palace is destroyed. So this, unlike in other countries, um, such as those affected in the tsunami that did have their... Um, you know, systems in place that could deal with this kind of crisis. You know, Haiti doesn't have that. The assistance is going to end. The rebuilding is going to have to come from the outside. Peter, I mean, do you think this uh, analogy with the tsunami hit countries is is apposite? By and large, I mean, given the levels of destruction in some areas of Haiti, they're going to have to be rebuilding from, from almost scratch in some of the slums that got destroyed. One can look at the the level of destruction at Ache and and the, and the way in five years that has been rebuilt but it's going to need a lot of effort from from everyone i mean both both from haitians themselves and the international community and uh, you know the, the the lesson of the tsunami was that some communities came out much much stronger after the reconstruct the post tsunami reconstruction and one can only hope that 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 will be be the same for haiti Peter Beaumont, Suzanne Goldenberg, many thanks for joining us today. Our producer was Phil Maynard. My name's John Dennis. Thank you for listening.